Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. All turn to Psalm 119-105. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a light to our paths and a light and a lamp to our feet. May the Holy Spirit empower me, deliver a word of strength, so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. So our theme verse reads, Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I reverse this in my opening prayer just to make it rhyme. That's what the psalm really says. Now, before I jump into the text, I want to draw your attention to a very popular video circulating on the internet in the past two or three weeks. It's of a young baby boy by the name of Lachlan, who is about two months old. And this video is truly awe-inspiring and heartwarming. Why? Here's the backstory. You have a seven-month-old boy who was born with a severe hearing deficit, which means from the time he took his first breath, his reality was defined by the lack of sound. He saw his mother and father moving. He saw different people making strange movements, but he could never hear the words they were saying. His reality, therefore, what was normal, was defined as being soundless. And he wouldn't know any better if someone did suggest there was something called sound which gave voice to the people around them. So what happens in the video? In the video, you see a crying, agitated baby boy and a doctor then affixes a ear implant into his right ear. The baby is crying and fussing, and then all of a sudden, the doctor turns the ear implant on. And what happens is magical. Because the baby goes from being stressed and agitated and crying, and he looks into the eyes of his mother and his eyes open up wide. And finally, he hears the voice of something beautiful. He hears the voice of a loving parent calling out to him, which he now hears for the first time. And upon hearing these words, his reality has now been redefined. His eyes are opened and his relationships to people his understanding of his very existence is forever changed because something new, this word, this hearing, has injected a new degree of understanding. Now, why am I saying all this? What does this have to do with Psalm 119? Because the corollary is this. The Holy Spirit acts as that ear implant. It works on us and in us and turn something on, it flips a switch, making us therefore receptive to the Word, the Word of God, as our loving Father is calling out to us. 
And there's something in hearing that word which is very, very familiar to us. And when we hear these loving, familiar words, it is so magical that we turn to those words and they forever change the way we interact with and deal with the life that we know. It forever changes the relationships that we have and increases the depth and the character of those people we interact with. Sight, in this case, becomes vision. Hearing becomes understanding, and distance becomes intimacy. But here's the thing. That hearing implant wouldn't have had value unless it drew baby Lachlan closer to his parents, unless it forever changed his life. If the hearing implant didn't allow him to hear or didn't have any quantifiable effects, that implant would be worthless and void. In the same way, the Word of God, the Bible, God's prescriptions, His ethics, is void as it pertains to you if it has no effects. The text says the Word can, the word can only be a lamp to the feet and a light to your path if you're going somewhere, if you're moving, if you're moving forward, if you're progressing, if your relationships are changing. The text does not say the word is a lamp to the four corners of the chair that you're sitting on. It always looks forward and looks ahead towards your mature Christian walk. The word is supposed to incite a perpetual revolution in our lives. And it applies to many Christians today because we tend to get saved and then stop. We no longer walk in the path, but more so get comfortable in where we are. We're not necessarily moving backward, but not necessarily moving forward either. I have a lesson coming out in the next few weeks called The Seven Days of the Christian's Life, where I basically compare the Christian walk to the seven days of creation in Genesis. The light coming into your life being saved is day number one, which means after you get saved, that is the beginning of your walk, not the end. There's much more work to do. So if you're online listening to me, and if you're in the church right now, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure if I'm moving in my walk, you feel as if you're stuck. You feel as if the light in your lamp has since gone dim a long time ago, and what was a blazing fire is now a small flicker or flame. The good news is that God is sovereign, and he's not done with you yet, and he's made the promise that his word will not return to him void. So if you are ready to learn how the word of God can change the way you see the world, say amen. First point, the word brings light. The word brings life. So the verse tells us the word produces two different sources of illumination. Your word is a lamp and a light. And again, the word is the Bible, God's commandments, his ethics, his prescriptions for a life. So the word is a lamp and a light. A lamp to your feet tells you where you are now where your feet are planted in the ground. A light to your path tells you where you're going. So the word tells you not only where you exist now, where you're standing, but the course that you're going to take. 
But here's the question that entered into my mind when I read this verse over and over again. How could something lifeless, the word, printed words on paper, produce something that is life-giving, light? How could something inanimate yield that which is animate? And the answer is that the word is never an end in and of itself. The inanimate word can only produce life and light if it points to something else. The word is actually a witness, and the best witnesses do not witness to themselves, they witness to someone else. So the word is only a light as a witnesses to the light, and that light is Jesus. Luther once said, the word is the cradle in which the Christ child lies. So as a result, we as Christians, we don't believe in the Bible. We believe in the living God attested to by the Bible. Because consider this fact, the Bible less Jesus has no value. The Bible less Jesus belongs in a section of a bookstore under fiction. Because essentially you have people in the Old Testament looking forward to an individual who doesn't exist. And you have many men in the New Testament writing about someone who ceases to exist. As a result, the central point of the word bringing light is to point us in the direction of the risen Christ, which is why in John 8:12 Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The central point is this. The word is never the destination. The Bible is never the destination. The word is the lamp and the light to get you to Jesus. And in the case of baby Lachlan that I told you about earlier, there is no point in hearing if you don't listen to the voice of the one calling out to you. So here's the point. When we're at home reading the Bible, the point is never to read the Bible. The point is to read the Bible so you can get closer to Jesus. The point is never to come to church and do church. The point is to come to church and do church so you can fellowship with others and bring yourself closer to Christ. The reason why I get up here is not to preach, sit down, and come back next month. The reason why I get up here is to give you a word so you will now see and draw yourself closer to Jesus. And why is it important to recognize that Jesus is the light? Because there are false sources of illumination that do not witness to Jesus. They witness to themselves. Let me explain to you how a lamp worked when the psalmist wrote this verse. A lamp in ancient times typically was made of stone or clay. In that lamp, you fill it up with oil, typically olive oil. 
You put a wick in the oil, you lit the wick, you then have a lamp with a flame. Oil in the Bible typically represents the Holy Spirit. So what that symbolically means is that the lamp that you're holding, you're pouring in the Holy Spirit, which fuels the wick, which then fuels the fire. So the light which is guiding you is fueled by the Holy Spirit. As an example, there was a building called the Tabernacle. In that Tabernacle, there was a big piece of furniture called the golden lampstand. The only type of oil you could use in that lampstand was the finest grade olive oil because it produced a flame which was very, very pure and pure light led you to very good places. If you use impure oil, however, impure oil will produce impure flames. It also makes what? A lot of smoke. And that smoke is going to get you sick. Because while it may produce light, it also produces smoke, which you're going to inhale, and it's toxic to you. Let me make this plain. And pastors are going to love this point. Strange oil, then, leads to strange fire. Strange fire leads to strange light. Strange light leads you to strange places, which is never Jesus. Say that again. Strange oil leads to strange fire. Strange fire leads to strange light, which leads you to strange places. That strange oil will also make lots of smoke. So wherever it takes you, it will take you somewhere. But you're going to get sick in the process. Strange oil nowadays never leads you to Jesus. It always leads to an idea or a person. And the most deceptive strange oil comes in a container labeled the Word. But the catch is that it won't take the whole Word. It'll take pieces of it. It'll take snippets. Add in something else. Say, look, we have some of the verses here. This is the good stuff. Incorrect. Because once it begins developing the smoke, it's going to get you sick and lead you not into the light, but into darkness. People use strange oil to oppress others, keeping others in the darkness and themselves in the light. But the word is light and therefore dispels the darkness. It means salvation, never condemnation. The word is best interpreted when read as a source of liberation in Christ. Because the word is a witness to the Messiah, it breaks every chain of bondage, including the use of the word itself as an instrument of oppression. The word brings light, and in that light, darkness cannot prevail. Second point. The word brings light, light casts shadows. The word brings light, light casts shadows. In the darkness, we have the benefit of secrecy because everything is hidden. The cost of walking in the light, of walking in the word, is self-exposure because the word is like a mirror that force you to take a look at yourself. 
that exposure may actually lead some people back into the darkness because it's more comfortable. But first comes light, then come shadows. Which means once you step into the light, the light's going to cast a shadow. Noticeably, that shadow always projects in the opposite direction of the light. That shadow also looks just like you. Has the same body shape, has the same mannerisms, has the same body language. It mimics everything that you do perfectly. In fact, you could be met making great time on your path toward the light. And the faster you move, the faster your shadow is going to move. And sometimes, the shadow can even appear bigger than you are. In fact, if your lamp is way directly above your head and it's revered highly in your life, there's no shadow. But if that light is low down, you can cast a shadow hundreds of feet tall. So what is the shadow? The shadow represents that side of you, your sinful past, that part of you that's still a work in progress, that we all have, that we all tend to look at and think about because it's something seen in our path towards the light. And we take a look at that shadow and allow it to hinder us, give us anxiety, and lessen our feelings of self-worth. And here's the problem. The shadows develop as a result of walking in the light. So once you step in, that's the cause. But here's what we do in church. In church, we pretend our shadows don't exist. We pretend once you walk into the doors of a church that you're no longer allowed to have shadows. But the point of the church is to actually point people to the one who can deal with your shadows in the first place. So let's be honest. I have shadows. I have problems. You have shadows. You have problems. You know what I realized this week? I could not be married to the female version of myself. I have shadows. I have problems. And I'm perfectly fine saying that because you have shadows and you have problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can see your shadows. And you need Jesus. But here's the good news. If you allow the word to point you to the light, your feet will take you to a wonderful place that already knows about all your shadows because the light is the one who revealed them in the first place. That wonderful place is in the arms of a loving God who already paid the price for your shadows. So the word brings light, and the word says in Psalm 119.59, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. What is a testimony? That we serve a God who gains nothing in watching you perish. We gain only when we bring our shadows to the cross. The word brings light, and the word says in Ephesians 6.15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The peace we walk in recognizes that our shadows 
do not reverse God's saving grace for us. The word brings light, and Jesus says in Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Have you ever considered, in order for Christ to pay the penalty for your sins, you first must recognize you are sinful? Because if you declare yourself righteous, the Messiah can't save you. When God has office hours, he's, he believes in segregation. There are two lines. One line says righteous only. The other line says sinners. When you walk through the righteous door and say, I've been a member of the church for 40 years. I am holy and righteous and I have no shadow. And I am worthy based on my own merits. He says, good for you. There's an elevator. Take it all the way down to the bottom. There's a guy there used to work for me, used for my music. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have fun. But the second you say, I am a depraved sinner, here I am, Lord, save me. He said, you are the one I came to save. So the bigger your shadow, and let's make sure we're clear, this never minimizes the destructiveness or the necessity of avoiding sin. But the bigger your shadow, the bigger your testimony, the bigger your celebration, and the bigger your appreciation of God. Because the word brings light, the light casts shadows, and then comes Jesus, who dispels the shadows forever. Last point. The word brings light, and light has the most value in the dark. The word brings light, and light has the most value in the darkness. Consider that the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming God, spiritual in heaven, taking human form, involved risk and vulnerability. God was God in heaven, all-powerful, omnipotent, could do anything. And he decided, why don't I empty myself? Because I don't regard equality with God as something to be grasped. I'll take the form of a human being, be persecuted, and die on a cross. He subjected himself to torture, to ridicule, to the normal things that happen in our human lives, like frailty, disease. He subordinated his will. And he also realized that he would, have to be stand, he would have to stand accused, although he would commit no sin. So the incarnation was costly. Making light and Jesus becoming the light of the world also was costly. Whenever you make a light, it always requires resources. If you need a flame to burn, you need what? You need fuel, you need oil, you need wood, you need paper, and a match. If you want a light bulb to burn, you have to burn electricity. If you want an LED lantern to burn, you need batteries. Making light requires resources. And Jesus had to leave heavenly places and pierce the darkness of the world because he knew light has the most value in the darkness. Light has no value in the light. If we're all on a beach in Jamaica and it's noon and it's sunny outside, and I bring a flashlight, 
I have now added zero value to your life. But even in a room that is pitch dark, the small flicker of a match can bring tremendous value even for a short period of time. Jesus went to many dark places, and his light was valuable because it shone, it shone so brightly in the darkness. But what do many believers do today? We shine brightly, but we shine brightly in the light. But light has the most value in the darkness. Consider also, in Matthew 5, Christ commanded us to be lights of the world. Consider, your light may be the only light someone else sees, and your light will direct them to the light, who is Jesus. Now, why am I saying all this? Because this church, for decades, has faithfully looked up, honored, glorified, worshipped God in a Bible-studying, Bible-preaching church. We've looked up. Recently, we've began looking in to raise up, nurture, and disciple people so they're equipped with the basic tools to instruct others. Why? Because 2016 is going to be here very, very quickly. And there is going to be a time when we have to begin to look out. And the reason why is because light has no value in the light. Light has the most value in the darkness. The darkness is out there in the world where there's unbelief. There's antagonism against God. And that is the purpose of the Great Commission, being called out into the world to be lights of the world. Now, this is a very practical point. I want everyone in this church to think about what is their Christ-centered personal mission statement. Because when the time comes to bring your light into the darkness, the answer you must have is, what type of light am I going to shine and to what type of darkness am I going to go into? I'll give you an example. The Christ-centered personal mission statement of the church is healing hearts and minds through Christ. It means mending people, mending relationships, mending false doctrine, healing the community of believers, and making you well, not feel better, making you well in your knowledge of Jesus. My personal mission statement is preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Which means anything I engage in, anything I'm seeking to do is centered around preaching Christ, teaching the Bible, making disciples. So when the time comes to branch out and to look out, that's going to be my acute focus. But this isn't a one-man operation. We are to be lights of the world. And as a communal body, we must disperse into the darkness and allow the glory of Christ to shine to those who need it. So, in conclusion, this is the message I have come to proclaim to you today that God's word is light, 
and in him there is no darkness at all. It is he who makes the winds his messengers and flaming fire his ministers. It is he to whom darkness is not dark and night is as bright as the day. It is he who sent his son, who is the light, who brings the light of the gospel to all those who will hear. It is he, Jesus, that is the word, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, whose words are like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock. His eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. But to everyone here today and to the thousands now listening, know that you are to be towering lights in the midst of darkness. Yet this yoke is light because of he who already has given an eternal sacrifice for your iniquities. Truly, you are all exceptional. Truly, you are all lights of the world. Truly, you are astonishing. Truly, because you are counted among God's elect, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Keep the word close to your heart and let your light shine. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafo. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafo.com.